As we look at the events of Palm Sunday, there's quite a sharp contrast, isn't there? You have the praises offered to Jesus, the palm branches, and then Jesus comes to Jerusalem and he weeps. Quite a sharp contrast. We're going to look this morning at the 19th chapter of Luke, starting at verse 29. Look at the weeping Savior. Why did Jesus weep as he saw that city that day? Luke 19, beginning at verse 29. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. And they were shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling saying to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes, the leading men among the people, were trying to destroy him. They could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging on to every word that he said. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the King who comes in the name of the Lord. You're the one who saves us. And yet there are many people who choose to reject that message, that only hope of salvation. And for that reason you weep, Lord, as you see those who do not acknowledge their need for you and turn their back on you, knowing the, the result of that. His judgment. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your word today. Help us to see who you are and why you came. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we might embrace your truth today. Your word is everlasting truth. But we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. 
Amen. I grew up at a time when it wasn't manly to cry. Big boys don't cry. And I guess big girls don't cry either, right? There's a song about that, right? Big girls don't cry. Big boys don't cry. And I think some of my coaches uh, probably reinforced that. You know, you get hurt, you just rub a little dirt on it. Right? You skin your knees as you're diving for the ball on the court. Skin will grow back, right? And so that whole idea of being a, you know, a real man doesn't cry. I've abandoned that philosophy of life. And there's a couple of reasons why I've abandoned that because there are times in my life when I can't help but cry. Watching Hoosiers. Right? Any of you cry watching Hoosiers? <laughs> if you don't cry watching Hoosiers, you've got a heart of stone. How can you not weep, huh? <laughs> My brother cries when he watches Field of Dreams as well. There's, there's certain things that you just can't help but, but cry. And then I look in Scripture and the greatest man, God-man, whoever lived... Jesus, he cried, didn't he? He cried at the grave of Lazarus. His good friend who had died, and, and he saw Mary and Martha and all those who were gathered at that grave weeping. And the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, says, Jesus wept. He cried. And I'm sure that wasn't the only time he cried. I'm sure there were many times that Jesus wept. One of them we find here in Luke chapter 19. In the midst of all the praise, in the midst of all the, uh, the shouting, uh, uh, Hosanna, uh, Jesus' heart was broken. We just sang, break my heart. For what breaks yours? What was it that Jesus wept about? Why did He cry that day? I would suggest to you there are three things and I believe he weeps for the same reason today. Notice, first of all, Jesus weeps because of superficial religion. Superficial religion. When we look at the praise that was given to Jesus on that first Palm Sunday, it appears as if this is good, right? This is, this is worship. This is praise. This, this is genuine offering of, of worship to Jesus. But, but when you take a closer look, what do you see? I think we see here that things aren't always as they appear to be. Because many of the people that were gathered there on that first Palm Sunday were what I would describe as sign seekers. Sign seekers. Verse 37 says, As soon as Jesus was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice. Why? For all the miracles which they had seen. If you read in the Gospel of Luke and look at the days just prior to Palm Sunday, there were lots of miracles that Jesus performed. Luke 13, he healed a crippled woman. Luke 16, he healed ten lepers. Luke 18, he healed a blind beggar. 
But the miracle that caused the greatest stir was the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And here we turn to John's account in John chapter 12, verse 9, describing Palm Sunday. It says, The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came, and notice this phrase, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. And then John adds this comment in verse 18 of John 12, For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. Can't you just imagine the talk? Lazarus, he was dead for four days. I wonder what he looks like. Let's go find out. So it wasn't just for Jesus' sake. They wanted to see a miracle. They wanted to see a sign. And so they were gathered that day to seek a sign. Whenever, wherever Jesus went in his earthly ministry, it seemed like there were always some sign seekers. They were the ones who tried to make it look as though a sign would cause them to believe in Him. Just show us a sign, Jesus, and we will believe you. That's what they said in John chapter 6, verse 30. But the problem with these people is that they never believed in Jesus. The signs that Jesus performed proved that He was indeed the Messiah, but they ended up rejecting Him just a few days after all the praise on Palm Sunday. Interesting, on, on one day they're saying, Hosanna, praise to the King. A few days later, what are they saying? Crucify Him. That's what they told Pilate. Whom shall I deliver for you? Jesus? Oh no. Barabbas? What am I going to do with Him then? Crucify Him. So those who were praising Him on Palm Sunday, just a few days later, were shouting, crucified Him. Why? Because He wasn't the kind of Messiah they wanted. They wanted someone to overthrow the Roman government. They wanted someone to heal them and, and feed them and, and do whatever they asked of Him. They had no intention of surrendering their lives to Him. And that's why Jesus made it clear what He thought of sign seekers. <laughs> In Matthew 16, verse 4, he says this, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs. That's what Jesus thought of sign seekers. And here they were. <laughs> we got to see this Lazarus. What does he look like? He had been dead for four days. Let's find out. All the miracles that Jesus had done. It wasn't just the sign seekers who were there that day. Many of the people who were in Jerusalem were also what we could call self-seekers. They were trying to use their religion for personal gain. There's an example of that when Jesus got to the temple that day. Verse 45, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling saying to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you, he said, you have made it 
a robber's den. So instead of being a place of worship, the temple had become a place for profit. People were using the temple for their own personal gain, and they were literally, think of this, literally robbing people in the process in the temple. I would call that using their religion for personal profit in the temple. What were they doing? Well, when you came to the feast, there was a temple tax that people offered at that time on Passover. And it needed to be in Jewish currency. So if you're coming from quite a distance, as many did on Passover, they didn't come with Jewish currency. They had to exchange their money for Jewish currency to offer as a temple tax. What do you think some of the money changers did? If that was the only currency you could use, there was the temptation, just like the tax collectors, to charge an exorbitant amount. And that's what they were doing. Now, this was a necessary thing. They needed to have the, 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 the Jewish currency, but not at the price that they were being charged. Or you come to the temple from a distance, and you're going to offer a sacrifice. Are you going to bring your little lamb along with you for however many miles you're coming away? And get there and find out that the priests were saying, you know what, it needs to be a lamb without blemish. Mm, I don't think you're as qualified, but we do have some over here. And guess what the price was for the ones over there? Way above what should have been charged. But what are you going to do? That's why Jesus says, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it. You've made it a robber's death. They were using the temple for personal profit. And that's not the only thing they were doing. They saw the temple as a place of protection. Verse 46 says, a robber's den. What's a robber's den? That's a hideout, right? That's where you, you take your stuff and then you go to your place of protection where no one can find you. So they were viewing the temple as their place of protection. And there's some background to this because Jesus is actually quoting from Jeremiah chapter 7 when he talks about a robber's den. And here's what it says, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1, the word, of, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate at the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. I've got a message for you. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you don't oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place. 
in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Then he says this in verse 8. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have known? And then you come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and you say, we are delivered, that we may do all these abominations. And then here's the quote. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. You see what the problem was in Jeremiah's day? They just figured as long as they went to the temple, everything was fine. They were stealing and murdering and committing adultery and worshiping other gods, but they sure went to church. (laughs) They went to the temple. And they figured, we are protected. The temple protects us. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, they said. And Jeremiah says, the temple does not protect you. Not at all. You think that by simply coming to the temple and offering your sacrifices, that you can live any way you want to live and there will be no consequences? And so Jesus is applying this passage to the people who were there on Palm Sunday. They were living the same way. They thought the temple was their protection. And there are people today, aren't they? Aren't there? I go to church. I put in my hour. I put something in the offering. I live for myself the rest of the week, but I go to church. It's that same attitude that somehow coming to church is your protection. Now, I want you to come to church. (laughs) We need to be in the house of God. But if you think by simply walking through the doors of this building, coming into this sanctuary and spending an hour here and then leaving, everything is fine. If you don't know Jesus, the church is not a protection. Superficial religion is what it was. There was no relationship with Jesus, no surrender to Him, no desire to serve Him. And the same is true today. Do you see why Jesus wept? And He weeps today over people who are living the very same way. Secondly, Jesus weeps because of passing opportunity. The people of Jerusalem had the wonderful opportunity to know the true and living God by having Jesus walking among them. Think of what they saw. The healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, casting out demons, feeding the multitude, calming the sea, preaching the word, raising the dead, rising from the dead himself. What an opportunity they had to come to know the true and living God by meeting Jesus. But they missed their opportunity. And notice how Jesus made that clear. When he approached Jerusalem, verse 41, he saw the city and wept for it, over it. And then he said, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. 
For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because, look at this phrase, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. In other words, God was in your midst and you missed it. You did not recognize that in Jesus Christ, God was visiting you. You turned your back on Him. You missed your opportunity. Missing the opportunity to be saved certainly isn't something new. It happened in the days of Noah, didn't it? How many years did he proclaim the Word of God as he built that ark? Over a hundred years. Preaching that there was going to come a judgment and people likely laughed at him, scoffed at him. And then the day came. And the ark was closed. Missed opportunity. Only eight people survived that. Think of how many lives were lost because they missed their opportunity to be saved. Think of the days of Jeremiah. Forty years of ministry, he warned people over and over and over again. Judgment was coming. They refused to listen. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 16, says they mocked the messengers of God until there was no remedy. Captivity came, and the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. History has a way of repeating itself because the same is happening today. For many people, the opportunity to be saved is, is passing away. For some of them, the opportunity to be saved is passing away because they are hardening their hearts against the truth of God's Word. And there comes a point where a person is so hardened to the truth that they've crossed the line where, where God gives them over. They have blasphemed the Spirit of God. Adrian Rogers says, Don't get the idea that a man, a woman, a boy, a girl can just saunter into the presence of God. Jesus said, No man can come unto me except the Father who sent me draws him. Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Which implies what? There's coming a day when Jesus will not be found, when He is not near. And that's why the Scripture says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. And that's the fear that I have for people that are part of a Bible-believing congregation. They hear the message over and over and over again. And they walk out of the church the same way they come in. And their heart is getting harder and harder and harder. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. The opportunity to be saved passes away for others because life itself passes away. Do you realize you don't have to be old to die? We think you've got to be old to die. You do not have to be old to die. 
Someday life is going to be gone just like that. And we never know when that day will come. Missing opportunity. Jesus wept over that. He said, you didn't recognize. This was your day of visitation. That's why he wept as he saw that city. Does Jesus weep for you today? Have you hardened your heart against the truth of God's Word? I don't want to assume that everyone who comes to church knows Jesus. Missed opportunity. The third thing that Jesus weeps for, He weeps because of coming judgment. What Jesus does here, He looks into the future a mere 35 years or so down the road, and he sees what is going to happen to the city of Jerusalem. Verse 43 says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you. They will surround you. They will hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Did that happen? Absolutely it did. We know from history it happened in 70 A.D., where the Romans came in and fulfilled what Jesus said here to the minutest detail. This temple, right, that they trusted in? This den of robbers that was their protection, their place of safety? What happened to that temple? It was destroyed. As if to say, if you are trusting in this, I can take that away from you too. And show you, you can't trust in this building, in this beautiful temple, these beautiful stones. It's estimated by historians that one million Jews died in the siege. They tell us that blood ran down the streets of Jerusalem like water runs through the gutters after a heavy rain. People were so hungry that they ate leather belts and shoes. And they even resorted to cannibalism. The Jewish historian Josephus in his History of the Jewish War says, While the sanctuary was burning, neither pity for age nor respect for rank was shown. On the contrary, children and old people, laity and priests, were alike massacred. He also says, The emperor ordered the entire city and the temple to be razed to the ground, leaving only the loftiest of the towers and the portion of the wall enclosing the city on the west. All the rest of the wall that surrounded the city was so completely razed to the ground as to leave future visitors to the spot no reason to believe that the city had ever been inhabited. That's how complete that destruction was. You wondered if anybody had ever lived there. That's what Josephus says. You talk about horrible devastation. All because they refused to acknowledge their need for Jesus. They rejected the one who had come to save them. It's no wonder Jesus wept.
Now I find it interesting to notice a reference to stones in this judgment. It's interesting because of what Jesus had said earlier on this day about stones. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to, tell them to shut up. What did Jesus say? I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. What did Jesus mean by that? If those who were praising Him that day become silent, the stones will cry out. The people that were praising Him that day got very silent after this, other than saying crucify Him. There was no praise for Jesus when He was on the cross. They were not honoring Him and worshiping Him when He was dying there on the cross. And the nation, by and large... Jerusalem rejected him, right? He came unto his own, and what? His own received him not. So the prophecy of Jesus regarding Jerusalem was fulfilled. When the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, the stones had something to say. The stones that were scattered on the ground were crying out, right? What were they saying? They were saying that here is evidence of judgment upon an unbelieving nation. Those stones were crying out saying, here's what happens when you turn your back on Jesus. Judgment. I know that's not a popular subject in our day today. People don't want to hear about judgment or sin or hell if we are going to be faithful to the Word of God, we must proclaim this. We must. Warren Wearsby says, No matter where Jesus looked, He found cause for weeping. If He looked back, He saw how the nation had wasted its opportunities and been ignorant of their time of visitation. If He looked within them, He saw spiritual ignorance and blindness in the hearts of the people. As he looked around, Jesus saw religious activity that accomplished very little. The temple had become a den of thieves and the religious leaders were out to kill him. The city was filled with pilgrims celebrating a festival, but the hearts of the people were heavy with sin. As Jesus looked ahead, he wept as he saw the terrible judgment that was coming to the nation, the city, and the temple. So what appeared to be a time of celebration for Jesus, a day of sorrow. He wept. There's an interesting passage a few chapters later in the Gospel of Luke. And it describes some tears again. Tears of some women who were weeping for Jesus. Luke 23, verse 26. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country, and they put on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep 
for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the day is coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Can't you picture these women as Jesus is, is being led out to Mount Calvary to be crucified? He had already been scourged. His body was bloody, trying to carry this cross. He couldn't even continue to carry it. And they're weeping for Him. And you can understand why they would weep for Him. But Jesus said, don't weep for me. His suffering would soon be over. In just a few days, He would die and rise again. But for the people of Jerusalem, the suffering was yet to come, which He just had described on Palm Sunday. And that judgment of God would be so severe that women who had no children would be considered blessed. And it would be so bad that people were saying, spare us, just just, just." Put the mountains and the hills upon us. Just just take our lives away. What a sobering, sobering message. That was an awful judgment that came in 70 A.D. upon the city of Jerusalem. But there's a day that is coming that is a much greater judgment. It's not just a judgment that's going to come upon one city. It's a judgment that will come upon the entire world when Jesus comes again. We recite that every Sunday, don't we? In the Creed. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And sometimes we recite that and maybe we don't think about that. But we are saying that we believe that. We believe that Jesus will come and judge the living and the dead. Do we really believe that? I hope we do, because it's coming. And if we believe that, it behooves us to get right with God so that we don't face that day with fear. Because we know the one who came on Palm Sunday. We know the one who died on that cross. We know the one who rose again from the dead. And so today is is our day of visitation, isn't it? Today. Because as we open God's Word, the Spirit of God takes that Word and and seeks to apply it to, to our hearts. And so this is our day of visitation. And the challenge is clear. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We aren't guaranteed another day. I had a funeral for a man many years ago, 50-year-old man. Just finished his shift at work. Changed his clothes. Looked at his friends and said, I'll see you tomorrow. And dropped on the ground and died right there. 
You talk about a sobering last statement. I'll see you tomorrow. There wasn't a tomorrow for him. And we aren't guaranteed a tomorrow. That's why today, it's the day of visitation. Today is the day of salvation. And if you don't know Jesus, he, he welcomes you to come to him. The one who comes to me, Jesus says, I will in no wise cast out. Come to Jesus today. He weeps over a lost and dying world. Oh, the joy of knowing him. The joy that the angels in heaven experience when a sinner comes to Jesus. Come to him today. Worship him in, in spirit and in truth. Live your life for the glory and the praise of, of his name. That's when life is really worth living. When you're ready to die. When you know Jesus as your Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we understand very clearly why you wept that day. You wept over those whose lives were headed for a Christless eternity. Those who, who thought that, that, that simply coming to the temple was all that they needed when they really needed a living relationship with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for us. Thank you that we can praise you today from our hearts because we know what you did for us. And we know you as our Lord and our Savior. And so, Father, do your work in our midst this morning for the honor and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.